I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. So Benjamin Zander, what a great pleasure to be meeting with you again, even though it's a time of unprecedented uncertainty. When we met and spoke a few months ago on that absolutely incredible visit to South Africa, who would have thought only a couple of months later we would be dealing with this massive health pandemic, which has also generated into a mental health pandemic in response to everything that this has caused. And so I wanted to reconnect with you to see whether or how rather some of the guidance that you've always given so generously can still apply in the time of such unprecedented uncertainty. And for those of you who don't know, Benjamin Zander is the long-term conductor of the Boston Philharmonic. I think it's been something like 40 years, hasn't it been? Yes. 40 years. He's also the founder of the Boston Youth Orchestra. And we were sorry because the tour of the Boston Youth Orchestra to South Africa, of course, had to be postponed. And I'm saying postponed, <laughs> very definitely not cancelled. You're not getting away with it, for sure. <laughs> Just for the next while until we know what's happening in the world. But you're also known for being a transformational specialist, life teacher, and you so beautifully combine all of those lessons through your writing and through your music. And I was just curious to hear your take on what some of those lessons are and how they apply right now. Well, Dori, it's indeed sad that we're not coming to South Africa with this fabulous Boston Philharmonic Youth Orchestra because it would have lifted the spirits of every single person who would have encountered this orchestra and these young people because they are so positive in their outlook, so engaging, so warm-hearted, outgoing, inclusive and generous. And we could have had and would have had an extraordinary time. We would have come in June. And as you say, that is being cancelled. And along with that cancellation is the cancellation of virtually everything musical that we are used to. We're so used to hearing concerts in concert halls with large numbers of people and that enthusiastic warm feeling when you're surrounded by other people who love music and the music is so beautiful and then at the end you all clap together that's all gone and we don't know how long it's gone for but it's definitely gone and there are many injuries to our society as a result of this pandemic some of them are of course, extreme, the form of loss of life in this country more than anywhere else. It's absolutely extraordinary the amount of deaths that we have to absorb. But apart from that, many other forms of loss, financial loss, human spirit loss, loneliness, tremendous anxiety, pressure of all kinds. And that puts a particular pressure on us to choose well when it comes to what we do and what we say. And that comes to the crux of the issue that you brought up. What actually is possibility in this time? Is it just a nice, convenient place to go when you're feeling good and when everything's going great? Or is it an essential human capacity to deal with any situation 
And that's what, of course, it is. It's an attitude, it's a mindset. It's not a series of actions or prescriptions. So it's a mindset which gives you an opportunity to choose at every moment. Now, this is the thing, it's a very, very simple idea to get, and any child can get it. Every single time you open your mouth, you have a choice. You can either speak in what we broadly call the downward spiral, or you can speak in possibility. The downward spiral is characterized and sourced by fear, by competition, by survival, by the need to win and to lose, the winning and the losing. And that whole model of living, which is essentially competitive, is something that is so inbred in us. It comes from a survival instinct, the instinct to compete and to survive, to get the food first. And the opposite of that is what we call radiating possibility. It's an arena in which compassion and love and contribution and connectedness and inclusiveness are the coin of the realm, as it were. And so we have a choice at every moment, every time we speak, indeed every time we take a step, to either take a step in fear, anxiety, pressure, argument, survival, or in joyous connection and love. And that's the fundamental choice that human beings have. And if there's no difference of this choice, whether we're in a good time or in a difficult time, the time of coronavirus is the same as possibility at any time, except the pressures are greater and the difficulties are greater. And I love to tell a story which I think will make a context for people, because it's very difficult to grapple with these ideas in terms of our regular life, or the life that we actually lead. So it's the story, I've told you this story before, but it's always fresh for me, this story, because my father was a Jewish refugee from Nazi Germany. He lost really virtually everything, including his mother in the death camps and eight other members of the family, wiped out that whole generation. He escaped with his wife and three children. I was born then a little bit later in England in 1939. Now he settled in England, having lost home, belongings, money, job, friends, language, and many members of his family. He started out trying to build a life, and then he was interned. Now, this was a, something that happened in England. It happened in America with the Japanese. Out of fear, the English, rather than embracing these refugees and giving them support, they put them in internment camps because they were frightened they would attack or be somehow on the side of the Germans. A preposterous idea, but in any case, that's what they did. And now he found himself with 2,000 men on the Isle of Man in a kind of camp with barbed wire and a sense of gloom and foreboding and fear that must have been pervasive. And in fact, he said some of the people there were so depressed that they could do nothing more than sit all day looking at the barbed wire fence. My father looked around and said, there are a lot of intelligent people here, we should start a university. And so he started a university in that camp with a couple of his friends, and they had 46 lectures every week. Okay. Now, there were no books, there was no paper, there was no pencils, no blackboard, no chalk, nothing. Just these men who had a, a lot to offer each other, 
and organized into classes studying Hebrew grammar or studying whatever the subject was. And that university ran through the time of the internment. Now, I tell that story because the circumstances were perhaps not the worst that one could imagine, but they were really bad. And yet out of the circumstances came an idea that I would name as possibility. It wasn't just good feeling, uh, you know, positive attitude. Positive attitude is good, except that the trouble with positive attitude, positive thinking, is that it tends to veer towards happy talk. And that's very irritating. We're burdened at the moment by a president who is about as annoying and exasperating as any leader could be. And he's addicted to happy talk. And it's the worst possible thing because then people get complacent and they go out without masks and they take terrible risks. So this is nothing to do with happy talk. This is about creating something where there was nothing before a pathway to possibility. And that, I must say, is open to everybody. As you talk and you tell that very, very powerful story, right. I often think of, of course, Viktor Frankl, who said that between every stimulus and response, there's a gap. And in the gap, you can choose, which right. is what yeah. you're talking about. And he right. used to say that the reason that I survived the concentration camp was not only the possibility, but the real belief that one day he would get out and he would tell the story. Is that what you are talking about so that you can recognize that there are going to be difficult feelings, but you also know that you don't have to be defined by them and that there is a possible future, which is part of our DNA, if you like. Right. Well, now, I absolutely agree with you. And the fundamental step we, in the book, The Art of Possibility, which you know well, there are 12 chapters, and one of the chapters is being with the way things are. And that's one of the essential elements of possibility, that you cannot deny or change what is there and cannot be changed. So you can't change the weather, you can't change... In this case, the danger and the death and the terrible struggles that people are having. So being with that in such a way that you're not fighting against it, not complaining about it and whining, but living through it, enduring through it, that is an enormously important element here. And to deny what's happening or deny the seriousness or the tragic experiences that people are having denies you the possibility of that journey into possibility. You get caught up like a fish with a hook. You get completely stuck. So once you've accepted what is, that's one of the wonderful things about that film, it's a beautiful world, you know, the La Vita Belle, I think it's called, where the father and the son are going from one catastrophic situation. And he, instead of denying it, he creates a story for them both, which enables the boy to go on to the next experience. So it's a kind of stamina in the face of difficulties, which is essentially, if my father had gone around complaining about the internment and the terrible situation in the world, he would have not only not gained anything, he would have lost friends and effectiveness. So once you've agreed to accept what is that cannot be changed, then 
our job is to endure within that as long as possible with the energy to find something new. Now it's very interesting what's happened here in my life. Things have absolutely exploded since this catastrophe occurred because we suddenly have an enormous amount of time on our hands which we never had. You know whenever we would try to talk there was never any time and suddenly there's an enormous amount of time and I've done things some of the most exciting things I've ever done in my life have been done in the last few weeks since March 12th, which is when we gave our last concert. And I'll tell you one just very sweet thing that happened. The concert was took place on March 12th, but it was already impossible to have an audience. So the hall was empty and everybody was watching on live stream. And we played Petrushka of Stravinsky. And one of the teachers of one of the kids in the orchestra was listening with her 10-year-old daughter. And the daughter became very intrigued because we had the words of the story on the screen, which she could read. And she got very excited about the story. And she began to root for Petrushka to win the ballerina instead of the Moor. And the mother was very interested and said, well, why do you feel that? And she said, well, I I just know they belong together. And the mother, who's a teacher, said to herself, well, now, wait a minute. What is it about the music that makes my daughter feel that way? And when I heard that, and of course I had a lot of time, I settled down and I wrote and then recorded an elaborate analysis of Petrushka for a 10-year-old. And it's fascinating and it's wonderful. And now it's being sent out to children all over and to families which are stuck at home trying to teach their children. And, and it's opened a whole world. And I said, you're just like Pooh Bear, like, like Christopher Robin introducing all these children to the characters in Petrushka, like Christopher Robin introduced the children to his dolls and his animals. So then at the end, I added reading poo sticks, which is one of my favorite poo stories. So this is now going everywhere and has become, somebody said, I'm going to nominate it for a Grammy. It's so good. Well, I never would have done that. And you think that you've written this for children. Let me tell you, Ben, you've written it for everybody in such a way that they can really relate to and connect with the child that is inside them. Exactly. And, you know, through that also relate to other children. So it's been a gift back. Right. It's it's great. And Stravinsky's music is hard because it's modern. But it turns out that it's very appealing if you understand what it's talking about, what the story is. So that's opened up a whole world. Then another thing that happened was a young woman asked me whether she could take a lesson in conducting. She's in Australia. And we had a two-hour lesson, which was fascinating. And just the two of us like this, without any instrument. And then somebody called me up and said, would I give a conducting class for people who could sign up for it? And I said, sure, I've done it now. I think we'd be fine. And so he made it available. 274 conductors signed up. And we had two sessions on Beethoven. And again, just through conducting. And the result has been a, a whole community of conductors who are now in in conversation with each other. We're having another one on the 30th of May. And now on, when we did that class, since then 11,000 people have checked into it and observed what the conductors are doing. Now, none of that could have happened. 
And so you were able to do this new word, but that's just coming up everywhere. Pivot, pivot. I hear pivot everywhere. Everyone has to be pivoting like a kind of crazy ballerina. (laughs) All business people are needing to pivot. So what I'm looking, these are incredible personal stories. And I'm wondering, you've already highlighted the most important, the fundamental container, the first step, which is the mindset of possibility. But taking those 12 things, you've spoken about one is don't deny what is. The other 11 lessons that come through so beautifully in that book and in your teaching, could you talk about how could you begin to apply some of those to make the switches and the changes that are necessary right now? Well, look, every one of these practices is something that anybody can practice and put out in the world. Here's one chapter called Being a Contribution. When I was brought up, I understood from my parents, and particularly from my father, who was brought up in that German tradition of Goethe and Schopenhauer, that happiness came from success. That if you were successful and you worked hard, the reward for that was happiness. In a moment, an extraordinarily important moment in my life, when I realized that as a conductor, I wasn't the one who was making the music, but the orchestra players were the ones who were making the music, that my job was to awaken possibility in them so that their power would be released. The silent conductor who gets his power from making other people powerful. That was a huge transformation in my life and I transformed from an obsession about success and therefore about failure to saying my life is about contribution. Now that was a very profound shift and it's a shift that anybody can make at any point. That in other words, one of the things that we're seeing in this terrible pandemic is that people's desire to contribute has come to the fore to a degree that is absolutely extraordinary. Kindness, consideration, being aware of the other, listening, all of that, the idea that we can put ourselves at the service of other people, which is essentially the role of leadership, that is something that if a five-year-old can actually practice if you create an environment for contribution. Now, here's another practice, which is giving an A. The giving of the A came as a result of my teaching experience in a high-powered American conservatoire where everybody was so fearful of failing and of being less good than their neighbors or not having worked hard enough. They were focusing on the measurements of success, the grade, which is the, the ultimate measurement of success. And so Roz, my partner, and I came up with the idea of giving them an A in the beginning of the class before anything had happened. And the very first day they get an A. And the only condition to get the A is they have to write a letter describing who they will have become by the end of the year. They then describe from the bottom of their heart and their imagination who they will have become. And that's the person I teach because I only take A students. Now, that's a beautiful thing to do in the classroom, but you can do it in life. You can do it instead of giving your partner a C minus, 
or if you're talking to your child, talking in a way that suggests that you think they really could be a lot better, giving them a B minus or whatever, give them an A, speak to the best part of them, the part that wants to succeed, that wants to contribute, and now suddenly the relationship has shifted. And so the environment of the A gives a totally different life. You know, it is so incredibly powerful that then, because I have seen many letters of your students who, when they were given an A, absolutely had to look inwards and develop the kind of awareness of any of the obstacles that were holding them back. And the process of writing that letter was a really poignant and important internal journey of the issues that they had to deal with in order to become the A that they knew that they could be. Huge amounts of research have absolutely confirmed what you're saying, that you teach an A and they become an A in a large part. It's, It's not so much that they're measured by the A, it's not a measurement, it's an environment. It's an environment in which people speak to each other, speaking to the best part of the other person. But then they become the best part of Without measuring it, without measuring it, without judging. It's just speaking to that part that the other person wishes to succeed, wishes to contribute, wishes to lead a valuable life. And that's the part you speak to. And that's a discipline, but it's a discipline that everybody can do. And it's not impossible for a 10-year-old to understand Understand that giving somebody a B minus when you talk to them or a C is different because we our body language is different, our voice is different, our eyes are different because the teachers speak down to their students and the t- student can always tell what grade they're getting. And in fact, one orchestra player said to me, something happens when you come to conduct our orchestra. I'm not sure what it is, but it makes us all feel very powerful. And I think that's the key, that if you can make people around you feel effective and powerful, you've created a new kind of conversation. You know, I had this wonderful thing with this conductor in Australia. Because we were looking at each other so close, I could see her right up. I noticed that in her manner, she was being very diffident. And I said that. And so she wrote an A letter to me, which is beautiful. I'll send it to you. It's just absolutely magnificent. And it's called I'm Diffident. And she breaks through that and speaks from a completely different place in her life. That's going to affect the way she lives, relates, conducts, and everything else she does. And so we're talking here about transformation. So let me tell you another practice which can be very valuable in this time and is valuable for me because I'm suffering a lot because I've lost all the concerts, everything's been cancelled, I should be in Russia next week conducting in St. Petersburg and I, you know, I'm heartbroken that, that I can't have any live music. It's just a terrible situation. So the practice is called rule number six and the, rule, the practice of rule number six is a famous story of the two prime ministers who are sitting in a room having a conversation as they do about their various political situations and suddenly they're interrupted by somebody who comes in a great state of upset and making a terrible noise and the prime minister, the resident prime minister says, Peter, please remember rule number six. And Peter's immediately calm and bows and apologizes and walks out of the 
the room, they go back to their conversation. So then 20 minutes later, a woman comes in hysterical, screaming, shouting, a mascara running. And again, the prime minister says, Maria, please remember rule number six. Oh, excuse me. She bows and she apologizes and goes out of the room. And then, of course, it happens the third time because it always happens three times. And the third time, the visiting prime minister says, my dear colleague, this is unbelievable. Three people out of control. And they just, well, as soon as you say rule number six, they're immediately restored to calm. Would you be willing to tell me what rule number six is? He said, oh, yes, rule number six, very simple. Don't take yourself so goddamn seriously. Yeah. And the other prime minister says, oh, that's a wonderful rule. What may I ask are the other rules? And the fellow says, there aren't any. So that's the only rule. And I must say in this situation, I've often found myself irritated, exasperated, frustrated that I can't do what I want to do because of all the limitations and the rules and so on. Rule number six, very useful. Keep in mind, don't take yourself so goddamn seriously. This is a time in which we need human. See, the thing to remember, Dory, I think we forget it. Human beings can be flexible. And we've proved that amazingly to the degree to which everybody's observing six feet and separation and the wearing of the masks and so many things. This has shown us that human beings can be flexible. That's what's called for at this point. It's called for for everybody and we can do it and we have to inspire each other to be the best that we can in this department. And, and rule number six is a very good very good thing to remember. Always a very good thing to remember. And the other thing to remember, Dory, you know, it comes back to, in the end, I love you. I think the words I love you are so powerful and we don't hear them enough and we don't think of them enough. We don't express enough the love that we have for the people around us. And it can be a, an animal, it can be a child, it can be a parent, it can be a teacher, it can be... So it's a new, creating an environment of compassion, of love, where contribution is the name of the game, where we feel connected and we are inclusive in the way we treat other people. That's the opposite of stress and fear and competition and anxiety and all the things that we allow ourselves to fall into out of a need to survive. But I think that what's needed now is that strong voice which tells us that we will survive. And that doesn't mean that there aren't people who are going to die of this disease. But of course there are. And ben, um, you spoke so deeply and with such conviction of you know, we can put it in inverted commas, the power of love, which kind of has become the title of so many songs over the years. But we're talking about it as very, very, we actually know that there's a huge body of research about the healing power of support. There are many books written about it. Right. There's one called Love and Survival, the scientific nature of the healing power of intimacy written by a past dean of the university at the University of California Medical School that shows conclusively that if you have love in your life, 
you tend to get sick less often and you get better more quickly. We are not talking about whether you can avoid the coronavirus yeah. necessarily <laughs> by so. having love and support right now. But what we are saying is we're highlighting the absolute importance of it. And you right. know, I must just um, remind you, because we have spoken about it before, that in that huge traumatic tragedy of 9-11, when the researchers called the families of people who had lost someone and they asked them whether with the aid of modern technology they had received a phone call and many many said they had the question to these families or whoever was on the other side of the phone was what did your loved one say and every single one said exactly the same thing and it was i love you yes and it was at that moment recognizing that that was what had to be said at that moment. And now what's happening in an environment of that we're living in is, is I'm finding it, a new kind of vulnerability amongst people. There's a sense of what vulnerability is, is having to step or choosing sometimes to step into something where the outcome is not known. You know, we don't know the outcome. And so we're having to be together in vulnerability. And this is making people more open, more emotionally expressive. There's been a priority shift. And at the end of the day, that power of empathic connection that you're talking about, the understanding of other people, the compassion towards them and self-compassion, is huge in making a difference of how we're navigating this landscape. Right. And I think we have to override our instincts in order to get there. The competitive instincts, the instincts to to win, the instincts to survive, the instincts to get the food, to, to get something for ourselves. That's human instinct, and we can override those instincts in order to get to a different place. Mm-hmm. And the place is possibility and it has uh, there's a wonderful sentence from a doctor quite a famous doctor in america called dr christian northrup and she wrote on the front of the book the art of possibility she wrote the very act of reading it with an open heart and mind will improve your health now that's a very interesting thing she doesn't mean of course reading the book what she means is living the life in other words, if you choose to live in possibility with, with the, the discipline of how you speak and whether you speak at stand in possibility and living in possibility, that will actually improve your health. And that's exactly what you're suggesting. And that's a doctor saying that. But I guess I want to ask you about times, moments maybe, where you too feel that you talk about not being able to perform or just I must remember I must preach my stuff because I really believe in it I don't mean it like as a formula but where you too just kind of say just for today for 15 minutes (laughs) well I'll tell you a very funny story Dory I was I gave one of my presentations you know I do these corporate presentations and I spoke to 1500 people and they were all the thrilled two-hour presentation and singing and possibility and they were on top of the world and then I went to the airport 
and I discovered when I got to the desk that they'd given away my seat because they'd overbooked and I was not at all pleased and I expressed my displeasure in a number of ways including I think with a little percussion on the desk I was <laughs> how could you do that and, so and then the gentleman behind me said I'm sorry I saw that I really enjoyed your talk <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. So, what those of us who are in the public eye or teachers and I mean that by that almost everybody because everybody has somebody that they're leading we really can't afford to go off track if we do and it's perfectly understandable that we do but the thing is we have to get it's like being thrown out of a boat you have to get back in the boat you have to get back on the saddle and we know how to do that because the practice is either it's rule I'm, I wasn't practicing rule number six at that moment so yeah. the practices are useful tools to get back on the saddle or to get back in the boat whatever the image is and know that we'll all be thrown out and thrown out of the boat because we just can't take it anymore or because it seems overwhelming or because somebody says something that's very discouraging or whatever and then we have to realign ourselves with the model of possibility and say who am I being at this moment what am I saying if my father had said in the camp I can't stand this it's unbearable and it's not, that wouldn't have helped at all so I think the thing is to realign and to say rule number six is very very good practice there but the remind oneself that one's life is about contribution and then once realigned you get back on track and that's all it is when we go on tour with the youth orchestra we have a track everybody understands what the track is and if people go off track we bring them back on track so we don't punish people we don't send people home because we can't send people home because it's an orchestra we need everybody so if somebody misbehaves we bring them back into the fold and remind them of the purpose having a vision a strong vision of what we're doing what is our purpose and I think if you have a clear vision of in our case passionate music making without boundaries that's our vision so we go on tour we bring music to people we enliven them we warm their spirits we give them a sense of passionate engagement through the experience of the music and if we go off track then we have to bring ourselves back and that's a very good process it's the same process that the religions have found this is not of course a religion or in any sense but the religions have all found that having practices is very good because it trains people to speak to their better selves to and human beings as I said can be flexible and they can be taught and reminded and one of the reasons we're so good I'm so blown away by in America where I live everybody's wearing a, a mask now and everybody's walking at six feet distance as if it was they'd be had that habit all their lives because they feel that the importance of it they see the purpose of it they see the vision and they see that we're in this together Ben, yeah. one of the wonderful quotes or sayings that I love and it really encompasses I think a lot of what you're saying and I know that you have many stories and I'm thinking of one in particular that highlights this and that is that if you change the way you look at things the things you look at change right it's all to do with that mindset 
Right. And I remember having the discussion with you about a particular shoe salesman long before we had technology. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's a, a story. story. Yes, it's a story I love to tell because it's so simple that any child can understand it and many children have understood it. The story goes that there were two shoe salesmen who went from Manchester in England to Africa in the 1900s to see if they could sell shoes. And one of them wrote a telegram back to Manchester with these words, situation hopeless, stop, they don't wear shoes. And the other one sent a telegram back saying, glorious opportunity, they don't have any shoes yet. <laughs> and that, in essence, in that very simple story, is the whole idea of possibility, that we have a choice, the choice is up to us, and we have that choice every time we open our mouth, every moment of every day. My friend, great colleague, our renowned conductor, inspirer, life teacher, transformational specialist, Benjamin Zander, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your years of experience, and the person that you are. Thank you very, very much. It's a great pleasure, Dori. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. I'm Dorianne Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a jackpot podcast.